and welcome to episode 24 of The Podding Shed, the podcast of the ChelseaFCblog.com. Joining me, Dirk Kaiser, are Mark25, who is Mark. Good evening. Dr. Blue Bio, who is Donald LeCarre, long-lost half-brother of John. <laughs> Good evening. And Grocer Jack, who is Tony. Good evening. I'm going to spend the rest of the time now staring out the window. <laughs> Moodily. Moodily. Um, before we immerse ourselves in the general lunacy of Chelsea in 2012, we should stop to pay tribute to former Chelsea manager Dave Sexton, who died on Sunday at the age of 82. He managed Chelsea from 1967 to 1974. Um, a manager who remains in charge of a football club, let alone Chelsea for seven years, seems like a strange concept at the moment. Um, he won the FA Cup in 1970 and the Cup Winners' Cup in 1971, which is, I think, the first silverware in um, six or seven years since the League Cup victory over Leicester in 1965. Um, I knew little of him because I was about three at the time, um, but having read some very good obituaries, the, the one in The Guardian is, is well worth reading. Um, his team seemed to combine a good amount of defensive steel, flair and passing, which I think um, is probably what we're trying to aim for at the moment. Um, a fairly quiet, unassuming man, which seems slightly at odds with the um, the reputation of Chelsea of, um, of that era. Um, went on to manage QPR and Manchester United, and he was England technical director for a number of years. I think he won a couple of um, under-18, under-21 championships um, during his time there. Um, and again, something I, I knew very little about, but apparently he was very key on sort of a tactical approach to the game, and, you know, he actually was one of the first people to, to use video footage and... Um, he made his own show reels to show players what they should be concentrating on and so forth. So he used to travel to Italy at a time where jumping on a plane wasn't quite so easy by all accounts. You know, he used to just head out to watch games and, and that sort of thing, which, you know, back in the seventies took some organising, I would have thought. And yeah, no, apparently yeah. as well, he was a big um, he was a big fan of the whole sort of total football movie. Mm. And, uh, and he funded all that himself as well, those yeah. trips. Depends. Um and like I said, I'm fortunate to be uh, to be surrounded by by three gentlemen who um, who have memories of the era directly, rather than um, having just read about it. Um, so I'm going to throw the floor open to you guys and um, have a chat. Just talk about Dave Sexton, watching his teams. You thought? Well, I'll, I'll just say that um, obviously I started supporting in '67, but you know, being seven or eight years old, you don't fully appreciate the the intricacies and complexities of, uh, you know, adult life and so on. And um, it did come as a surprise to me then when in 74 he wasn't manager anymore because as long as I'd been watching Chelsea, he was the manager. Uh, and that, that came as a bit of a shock and I, I didn't fully understand how these things could possibly happen. Uh, but... Something we're far more well-versed in now. <laughs> it was preparation for the, the Bates and then Abramovich eras that, uh, that followed. Uh, you know, apart from that, it, it being a time where a manager wasn't standing with a microphone under his nostrils 18 hours a day, he was, there, there aren't big memories of him, if you know what I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. He was just part of that successful team of the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, I do wonder what happened later in that we, we didn't ever see him around the bridge very much, but that may be down to the sort of Ken Bates trying to not have the past around him very much because that happened with quite a few of the players as well, I suppose. But um, he seemed to be an admirable 
character, a, a quiet man, a very decent man. He obviously fell out with people like Osgood and Hudson, but when you read their biographies and read about them, that probably wasn't hellishly difficult. F- fairly fairly different, animal. different characters, yeah. Well, he, yeah. He, must have, he worked up until, again, just sort of looking at the obituary, he must have worked up until relatively late in his life, in the sense that apparently, um, even up to, to Ericsson's um, time in charge of England, he consulted Sexton on a number of things, apparently. Um, so he must have been well in his 70s, I would have thought. I think the interesting thing that comes out of this is, as we were saying just before we started, he, he was a, a, a follower of sort of total football. He used to go and watch the game in Italy at his own cost, flying out. He used to, you know, he's obviously a student of the game. And this was at a time where English football started down that, um, what was his name, Charles? Charles Reap, yeah. You know, it was this uh, three passes point, and that yes, point of maximum opportunity, the, the sort of almost Graham Taylor type era. Sexton stayed in English football all the way through that. And there must have been times, I suppose, where he felt he was <laughs> a bit of a voice in the wilderness. You know, it must have, must have been times where he despaired of, of what was happening at the senior level in, in English football in terms of coaching the coaches because... English football suffered a big gap in coaches who were sort of total football people. Uh, you know, I don't mean in the Dutch sense, I mean in the, the sort of Shankly and all those sort of people who, who that there was the, the whole game, there was the whole player. And then we seem to go into that strange period where it was all about knock it to the far post. And people like Sexton remained working in the background all the time. And I, I just think he was a... Uh, in, in a, I wonder how he would have got on in the modern era, again, being such a quiet man. Robert Frost, devotee, apparently, loved his poetry and literature and so on. It doesn't, uh, really, doesn't really chime with the, with the football manager now, let alone, you know, no. in the 1970s. But in some ways, he, he, he does chime with what my idea of a Chelsea person is. I know that's difficult to believe, you know, over the years, but that's the sort of image I always had of Chelsea as being slightly... More cultured and arty farty than lots of other places. I think we could probably safely say he would um, he, he would appreciate the Chelsea blog. Mm. Cultured. And I think you go on with Roy Hodgson. Strangely, Hodgson is a man who you know is known to open a book from time to time, <laughs> and, sort of. and not on, not on a card game or anything like that. And in many ways, therefore, in that sort of almost, although he grew, up, he was born in Islington. He he, he had that sort of, I suppose. Um, cultured, almost continental approach to to his profession and his life, if you know what I mean. That, mm. that football was, was was something to be appreciated and to be loved and, and worked on, but he had this other sort of life that went on around it. Mm. No, indeed, um, Tony, your um, your your first. Well, your introduction to life as a Chelsea fan was the um, the 1970 Cup final, which obviously is his um, his his big moment, I suppose, if you if you want to put it like that. Um, a few thoughts from you. Um, well, yeah, that, that was that was as you say that was my if you like initiation into into Chelsea. I'd been football mad probably from about 68, about seven years old onwards. But I never really latched onto a team. And, um, you know, I sort of documented it well enough on the blog and probably mentioned it a couple of times here. But it was the, uh, you know, coming home from school, 
um, the excitement of the FA Cup final, having realised that there was this cup final, um, and that they were teams that played in competitions that you know at the highest level, and not just blokes I watched running around on a box, um, and uh, you know, sort of getting the the, the lecture from Dad to say you know you, you support the local team, even though the local team theoretically was QPR. Um, you support Chelsea, you know, because uh, Leeds. There was from, there was a lucky escape. Uh, yeah, very lucky escape. Um, uh, yeah, and you say that, but you know, had it been QPR, I guess I would have been a QPR fan. And um, but you know, just the fact that Leeds was somewhere out in the wilds and you know somewhere that unimaginably far from London where we lived and you know when a, and, uh, and still is and still is but as a, you know this <laughs> to is, this day as a I nine, had to work up there for five years <laughs> <laughs> as a nine year old boy you were you know I'd, I'd you know considered that visiting my cousins in Stevenage was you know like a a, 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 a journey abroad um, from where we lived so it was a, a weird time but you know when I mentioned the, you know the, the, the team at that time and I can still rattle it off um, because it's that embedded in my memory and, and the fact that my walls of the bedroom were covered in posters within days of it you know Bonetti, Harris, McCready, Hollins Dempsey, Webb, Baldwin, Cook, Osgood, Hutchinson, Houseman and uh, I kind of struggled to remember who the substitute was because we only had one back in them days um, but uh, Marvin Hinton I Mel- Marvin Hinton good Hinton. man thank you very much Mark um, uh, and of course Sexton because he was the manager, uh, and he was the manager. They, the, the word "coach" wasn't banded around so much in them days. Uh, um, the coach back for us at school, where I was, was the trainer. You know, the bloke who came on with the wet sponge and a bucket and strapped them up and you know jabbed them with morphine or whatever at half time and told them to get on with it. Um, he was the manager, and you know it was back in the days. I think when uh, even the most garish and, and sort of loud managers were still of that old fashioned ilk you know they hadn't been introduced into this celebrity culture or whatever and so it was interesting what Donald said that he's never been back to the bridge I think that's probably more down to him than just not being invited I think he's just a very unassuming guy who was a student of the game and um, never, you know, he probably suffered from the fact that he wasn't prepared to blow his own trumpet and chest beat and you know uh, and enter the cult of visibility in order to, to further his career. And I, I, I'm quite proud of it. I like what Donald well, said. Sorry he, to interrupt, but it's... very it, Chelsea. It's, it's sort of interesting, actually looking through um, the obituary, it actually suggests that, you know, his, his measured, quiet approach, he just didn't fit in at United because it was, you know, a big club under a constant spotlight with, you know... Everyone, everyone watching his every move. I mean, apparently, signed. Um, we signed Ray Wilkins up there and Joe Jordan, but um, took an endless amount of stick for signing Gary Burtles because it took him like eleven months to sign his first goal, um, and never quite, just never quite fit in. Which, um, yeah, kind of chimes with what you're saying. But sorry, carry on. Well, I think yeah. I mean, the, the Burtles one makes me laugh when we're going through. Uh, you know, we've been through hours similar ones with you know Fleck <laughs> and. Uh, uh, Sutton and now Torres and you know, Shevchenko arguably I suppose um, you know you buy these players with big reputations and Bertles was rattling them in right left and centre at Forest so I don't mm. think anybody expected him to fail in that way but I just think with Dave Sexton um, you know when they were scrabbling around looking for England managers and, and, and at a time when there were not that many obvious candidates you know he could have been a potential perfect man for it because he would have been gentlemanly discreet, subtle, uh, polite, 
um, and everything like that. But you know, maybe part of them wanted someone a bit louder, brusher, or whatever. Um, from a Chelsea perspective, um, you know, uh, to deliver that FA Cup, the first one, um, to my team, which just you know basically enshrined them as you know heroes, and that would be my club forever. Um, and then the the, the the probably less lauded, but potentially much bigger reward the following year of the Cup Winners' Cup um, against Real Madrid. Um, a magnificent achievement. When the Cup Winners' Cup was actually the second competition to the uh, European well, Cup um, mm. and sat somewhere above, I think it was probably still referred to as the Fairs' Cup um, at that point. It had got its yeah. UEFA moniker there. No, it was a separate cup. Fairs' Cup was a different cup. Was it? First Cup was the Intercity Cup, then the First Cup, and um, right, that was yeah. if you followed high up in the league. But the Cup Winners' Cup was only for Cup winners. Yes, and that's the right. European Cup was only for league yeah. winners. So I thought the so the Fairs Cup was the equivalent of the UEFA Cup. Yeah, and yes, the yeah, UEFA league. And but I think the Cup Winners' Cup did carry more cachet. Yes, I'm not saying that because we won it, but I think it did. I think it was generally considered to be the second. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, second right. tournament. And, um, we sh- and, we sh- and we should note a European trophy um, some years before Liverpool managed it. Uh, <laughs> just to throw that in yeah. I think the other thing about it was uh, as, I, as I recall that Cup Winners Cup they, um, they, they drew and then they had to play two days later mm. you keep dropping out Tony or maybe it's my end of the thing Can yeah. else hear him well? you're, you're having a bit, of a, a bit of a dropout moment um, have, have a tinker with you Mike um, Mark a few thoughts on, um, on Dave Sexton if you can lob something in I'll try to lob it in um yeah, well, it's going back to a bygone era, really, isn't it, Dave Sexton? Um, everything was in black and white. We weren't plastic fans in those days. We were all made of Bakelite. <laughs> you know, games were only on Saturday at 3pm, and you sat there in the rickety old stand with wooden floorboards as wafts of cigar smoke drifted across from the bloke next, in the next row. <laughs> there I was with my wooden rattle and my homemade scarf with my 5P programme watching the surge of the crowd on the shed as the action unfolded on the pitch as they all sort of rushed forward and thinking how lucky I was not to be in there being crushed. Uh, but they were great days, really. I mean, um, in terms of success at Chelsea, um, we won the league in 54-55, then the League Cup in 62-63. And then, you know, from 19... 19- 69 to 1972 was a period of great success for us in terms of an FA Cup, um, a Cup Winners' Cup, reaching the League Cup final, although we lost to Stoke. But compared to what had gone in the previous um, 65 years, you know, it was just constant um, success and and a fantastic team with the likes of um, Osgood, Hutchinson, Ron Harris, Bonetti, managed by Dave Sexton. And as um, Donald said, really, I mean, you don't, you didn't get to know the manager because there was no TV coverage whatsoever. Um, so he was a sort of distant, mysterious type of figure. Although, um, strangely enough, um, my father-in-law, who's no longer with us, was a um, hairdresser and had a salon in South Kensington. He actually grew up with Vidal Sassoon, and they both turned out to be hairdressers. And a lot of the Chelsea players used to go to his salon to um, have their trims. So he got on and, and was quite good friends with um, Peter Bonetti, John Hollins, George Graham. And Dave Sexton did often pop in there to have his hair cut. And um, I did ask my wife about that and she said he was always a very decent, 
um, person, an ultimate gentleman. So I do have some connection with him, um, but that's about it, really. You are you are so, the you are the go to guy for the mixing with the rich and famous. Oh yeah, I'm well, well connected. You know, uh, it's just it's uncanny. Yeah. Um, but of course, true to form, um, and sort of setting our stall out for how we're going to behave later on in uh, Chelsea history. In the end, of course, we sacked him. <laughs> <laughs> but he did fall out with probably our, um, well, the king of Stamford Bridge and Alan Hudson. I'm not sure Alan Hudson was too upset about going, but Peter Osgood, from what I understand, was pleading with Dave Sexton in the end to keep him at Chelsea and he couldn't apologise enough for his behaviour and he was desperate to stay but Dave Sexton had had enough of him but I mm. think that was the beginning of his unfolding because mm. yeah. this was around the time of the East End as well wasn't it With... yes I think they, they they couldn't spend too much money on the team either could they and uh, that East End I, I, young as I was I remember <laughs> I think that's why I've, I've never I've never built a conservatory on a, on a, a property that I've owned <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, that's... You don't know what you're getting Actually, the, the excellent photo that, that Nick put on the blog under uh, Old Lime Tree's excellent match report shows a well-coiffured gentleman there in a sort of Crombie. And that could be your father-in-law's handiwork that we're looking at there. I'm sure it was, actually. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you like it. And um, mm. also, I was um, what did strike me about that photo was mm. our multicultural fan base. You're not yeah exactly. If that we is... were to, if um if a major brand today was doing a um advert, they would specify the mm. proportion of um black black people to white people, and mm. they'd also want a few Orientals and others in there as well nowadays. Mm. But it's the sort of perfect mix, and actually it, that did surprise me for nineteen seventy seventy one whenever it was, or it may, it may have been in the late sixties. That, yeah, but that, uh, but that end, that end of the King's Road. Um, if I, I, I'd never lived that part of London, but reading about it, you know, sort of North End Road, that end of the Fulham Road, King's Road, it was a very sort of working class district. There was quite a, a large Jewish population down that end of the King's Road at, at some time during the fifties, certainly from what I've read, and it was probably an area that was. You know, for London of the time, if you think of Notting Hill and that sort of <clears throat> area of West London, was probably more racially mixed than quite a lot of other parts of London. You know, no, you're probably right. When, when I went to the games, I, I wasn't aware of um, uh, the crowd. No, no, you're, you're having, right. Yes, having you wouldn't see a lot of, uh, of black people um, actually in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's uh, that's true. Yeah, an interesting point. Um, Tony, are you still with us? I am. You are excellent. Oh, that sounds better, right? Um, I think. Um, I mean, just in terms of the, the way that Dave Sexton and his side sort of shaped what Chelsea were to become, um, it, it would be nice if the club actually kind of commemorated him in some way. I, I, it's it, obviously the, the obvious thing these days is to shout, stick a statue up, or whatever it happens to be. But I think um, you know when you walk into the bridge and you still see that there's a Spackman entrance and so forth. Um, it would be nice to. Um, to remember the remember the great man in a little more um, more of a, an appropriate way, should we so say? If anybody's if anybody's listening, but before As they do. I got cut off, um, that cup winners cup win. The point I was making was there was two days between the final and the replay. Can you imagine that now? 
Nineteenth of May, one one. Twenty first of May, two days later, two one. That would you just it's just you, you couldn't tell young fans that. And secondly, um, we've got a west stand and an east stand. Why not have one of them as a sexton stand? It, it does touch on this this thing about Chelsea have not celebrated. You know, while he was alive, they didn't overly remind you of him, did they? I, I, I had that sense that when he died, the press and the media, and I think a lot of fans, despite him having done very well at QPR and had that time at Manchester United, generally he was associated with Chelsea. Mm. But and, and that's not a criticism of the, of the sort of current um, setup because you know they, they've done quite well I think and, and they've only continued on what, what they found as it were. But yeah, I'm not sure that Chelsea as a, as a club really have have put Dave Sexton up there as much as you would have expected they would do in the, in the way that you know Osgood and, and Hollins and all these other people are remembered. Dave Sexton. Maybe at, maybe at his own request, but being Again, the sort of yeah, person he was, you know, maybe the club have invited him and said, we'd like to name something after you, and he said no. You know, I, I'm not trying to criticise anyone here, but there is that interesting, it may have been that he was a sort of retiring sort of an individual in that you, know, you, you didn't really know about him winning a couple of under-21 championships and things like that, which... God help us, most of them today would never shut up about if they're on Radio 5. So it may be very much part of his character. I'm not blaming the club. I'm just wondering about that connection and therefore whether the, you know, perhaps now he may have expressed a wish with the family of not having things named. Who knows? I suppose we'll find out in time. Just just to throw in a little anecdote on the Cup Winners' Cup. My my father went to... um, uh, Athens to watch that game. I wasn't allowed to go because it was school. It's a pathetic reason not to go, but anyway. Um, and he stayed out there, much to my mother's annoyance, for the replay. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> any excuse. And he did report back that um, the Chelsea players were at the hotel. And after the first game and up until the replay, they spent the whole time sitting around the pool drinking. That's a miracle they actually made it onto the pitch. I'm so and I can only assume that Real Madrid that. drank a bit more. I, I, I'm so pleased to hear that because my mind was when Tony, Tony mentioned that, you know, the, the, the final was two days apart. You, you know, you're in, in, a diff- in, a, in a fairly different climate. And I was thinking, I sincerely hope that Ozzy and co were at the bar knocking them down in those two days just to, you know... Well, they were at the pool and people were bringing them the drinks. Oh, fabulous. It really you can is. just imagine Dave like Sexton. Him. There's a man who's spending his own money to go and travel to Italy and other places where I think we've got to be fair, a slightly more professional, not necessarily more successful, but a, a more modern athletic professional approach was taken. And he was going to these clubs. He was probably going to all these coaching conferences, talking to all these people. And then he was coming back to Chelsea. <laughs> and try to get Bunch of piss 12 or 15 pissheads to actually lay off the beer for one night so they could go out on the pitch the next day and play a bit of football. God, God only knows, he, he seems to have done a, done a reasonably decent job of it. Um, well, he, he, he kept it upright. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think that's, um, that, that's kind of a, a good way to round off that. Um, so we say 
rest in peace, Dave Sexton, and um, uh, thank yes, you for yes. your um, your your yeah. huge contribution to uh, to Chelsea's history. Um, we move on um, via the Liverpool game, which we will touch upon briefly, um, only to mention um, the injury to John Terry, which apparently you know he's he's made his um, usual miraculous recovery and is in line for a recall on um, on Saturday against West Ham. Um, trained out on the pitch um, on Sunday and uh, wore a number sixteen training top, which um, obviously the media seized on and as uh, his thoughts on the, on the Di Matteo sacking. Um, one all. Um, Robbie's goose was was on the way to being fairly well cooked by that point. Um, but obviously, the big game that week was um, was our trip to Juventus. Um, the rumours started circulating a day or so before that Torres looked likely to be dropped, and that we were probably going to play Hazard in the middle. Um, and and so everything has kind of snowballed on from there. So we'll, we'll take on the game first um, having watched it I thought the first half I don't think we were actually that bad I, there was possibly slightly unfortunate to go in 1-0 down um, albeit that what what has become a little bit of a curse that, that they finished their chance and we did um, and 3-0 looked, ultimately looked fairly harsh, but um, but obviously by that point, I suspect Roman was um, was instructing Mr. Buck and Mr. Gawley as to um, as to what he should do next. Um, uh, right, who watched the game? We didn't ask this before we started, but um, I presume we all saw something. Yeah, I watched it. Or yeah, it. I watched um, it, yeah. Tony, fling in your thoughts on the game itself. <clears throat> we just beaten on the night by a better side. I don't think we played badly. I can't pinpoint anybody as being at specific fault for the goals you might argue that Czech could have done better for one and certainly the last one was a little bit suicidal but um, it smacked a little bit of the um, Atletico Madrid game uh, it, it was oh, like a carbon copy they were raining shots in but yeah we could have uh, we could have certainly had one or two and I think Mata missed a, a, an absolute golden opportunity mm. um, in the first half but um, you know uh, I think people's expectations were out of kilter really for a team playing a team that had only lost one game in 18 months at home or whatever their record is and um, flying high at the top of uh, Syria A or however you pronounce it and you know I, I've, I've never been one to complain about a fair defeat or a bit of a spank we, did, we didn't deserve anything else I think 3-0 in the end was a fair reflection when you look at how many chances they had they were taking shots from outside the box but they were taking shots and um, and we weren't um, mm. Hazard is a great player but he ain't a striker that's for sure and um, no. you know neither is Torres to be fair about that either but um, you know I think um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint anybody being bad certainly when the second goal went in we did something I've not seen for a while which is our heads dropped and they did drop Mm. That's really it. And to summarise it, um, it was a bit of a hey ho moment for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Really, I mean, um, I was just sort of slumped on the sofa, um, reconciled to the fact that we were just getting overrun. And um, as Tony mentioned, you know, it did feel remarkably like Atletico Madrid. And when we have played good t- teams this season, we have struggled, and we've just looked mm. a little bit exposed. Um, and I think that's probably Robbie's undoing. I mean, um, 
to think of what he did towards the end of last season in terms of back backs of the wall type performances where we needed to dig out a result. All he needed to do was dig out a result against Juventus, and we didn't need to win. We just needed to draw yeah. to keep things in our hands. And and you know if we'd we'd played a little bit more boringly as we did against um, who was it we played last weekend? Manchester City, who were a good team. You know if we'd played like that, he might still be in a job. Mm, true. Actually, we'd, uh, we've sort of got maybe got slightly ahead of ourselves, or I've got slightly ahead of myself in the sense that not remembering when we actually recorded the last one, but we'd actually briefly touched on the Liverpool game. Um, but we'd also we'd, we'd lost to West Brom, and he, Robbie had made I think it was like four or five changes, um, clearly with one eye on the Juventus game, and we were reasonably well beaten. Um, by a side who are now now above us in the league and, um, and managed by someone who will obviously be targeted for the Chelsea job at some point in the not too distant future in Steve Clark. Um, <coughs> Do you think so, John? Because he, well, he, sure, he surely lacks the the glamour and the uh, media persona, etc., etc. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got caretaker written all over him, hasn't he, Steve? Steve yes, Clark. I, I, I do a job. Oh, I, I reckon, you know, at, at, at some point, you know, as, as, as the many gags floating around at the moment are that, you know, everyone will be Chelsea manager for 15 minutes. And, um, you know, I think Steve Clarks could be quite entertaining. But um, but anyway, we, we digress. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I must admit, personally, I, thought I watched it in a, a place in the city and um, you know, there was a degree of inevitability about it. But um, I, d- I didn't think we were that poor. I th- my problem has been throughout this season um, is that whenever we lose the ball, which we're, j- we're just horrible, we lose shape, we look disorganised, and, and and pretty much any team with with a couple of competent passes in it in it can can cut through us in you know two or three passes. Um, that that obviously is what um, what Mr. Wow. Benitez is here to address. I didn't I didn't think if I'm trying to recall it's difficult to recall these things not through the prism of what's happened since and, and what you yeah. hear. But uh, watching it that night, we started like we did against Shakhtar. You know, it looked like oh, this is going to be horrendous. But then I thought it settled. If I'm recalling this correctly, I thought it, we sort of settled down into a a sort of defensive pattern. We were going to try and hit them on the break. Yes, they had lots of shots, but they were, you know, it, it reminds me of sort of watching ice hockey. You know, they were shooting from a perimeter situation, which you would always expect either defenders or goalkeepers to deal with in the main. Um, they they did obviously have one or two cast iron chances, but it wasn't like the Atletico Madrid game to me in that Atletico looked like they were going to score every time they got anywhere near the the area. Mm. In reality, I, I started not to relax, but I started to think we could get to half time, and you know if it was nil nil, they could then think about what we were going to do. And the other thing which I've mentioned on the blog uh, probably a couple of times is Juventus and City did it on Sunday. The, the the standard way to deal with a team that breaks quickly and with pace and has a runner on the ball is to take him down. You yep. look at you look at the foul count, Juventus versus Chelsea. It's something like nineteen to seven or nineteen to eight, something like that. Yep. For a team that had the ball far more than we did, they committed an enormous number of fouls. And the reason they did that is every time we got the ball and went past 
the first line of, def- of, of midfielders, they brought us down. Clumped and the you. referee did nothing to stop it. Much like, and, and as I say, I'm not talking about this on Sunday, oh, we would have won the game if he'd given them loads of cards. But some referees are determined to try and let the game roll and not start throwing cards around like confetti. And you see these situations where... Yeah, it has a knock-on effect. That's the you know, Arsenal were very adept at this in, in the you know, Petit Vieira era, weren't they? That was their standard way of playing. You divide the trips around five or six players. And by the time you start picking up the cards, you've probably got the game in the bag. And that's what Juventus did. And they were allowed to do it. That's football. That's European football. We've got to find a way to combat that. But... It wasn't really till they broke through and got the goal that, that you then thought, well, I can't see how we're going to get the goal back. And then all of a sudden, we did get a break and, and Matter, unfortunately, didn't finish it. So I don't remember being overly depressed until probably 10 minutes into the second half when I thought, no, we've, we've got nowhere to go with this. We, we can't change this such that we're going to get a goal back. But for a lot of the first half, although obviously Juventus had the the majority of the ball and, and the pressure, I thought we were coping quite well. I, I thought his tactic of playing as Piliqueta out there was working. Yes, it wouldn't perhaps satisfy Roman in that, you know, much like the briefing that was given to Sam Wallace in, in the Indy, just like Roberto Martinez, he's supposed to play an attractive and dominating game of football no matter who we're playing. Uh, which struck me as just complete hogwash. But I thought he set up to try and get something out of that game. Unfortunately, we didn't. you know, once once they got the goal, he had nowhere to go. He couldn't pull a Drogba-type figure off the bench to try and get something out of it. And that wasn't his fault. That mm. is a bit like with Ancelotti, that was the club's fault. Yeah, I think that's the um, that's part of the issue is, is that you know, we went into a we went into a season with two strikers, Not one who had meningitis in the summer, and one who appears to have been bought from Liverpool without a medical. If you believe some of the things you're reading on the internet, mm. yeah, that's that's part of the problem. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's one of those things that. I, Recall Dan Levine is, is usually kind of on the money on on these things, and after the West Brom game, he was sort of you know quite defensive in um, you know this is talk of talk of Robbie being um, on the way out is ridiculous and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, hey, this is Chelsea, and um, and it didn't take too long. Um, and as far as we understand, um, ten past three in the morning at um, at Cobham, Robbie got his marching orders from. Um, Buck, Gourlay, whichever one of them was Roman's henchmen was, was ordered to go and pull the trigger. Um, and, and off we went again. Um, it's, it's obviously not something we're, we're exactly um, stranger to in terms of um, changing managers and so forth. I, I, it's not an exaggeration, so I'm, I'm now trying to work out. I've almost lost count of how many we've had um, in, in, in the Roman era. Is it eight or nine now? As long as we keep going at the rate we're going, I just go by the age of my eldest child because there's been one for every year he's been alive. <laughs> he's now, for the first time in his life, he might actually be losing ground because he's eight, he's eight and a three quarters, um, and I think we're on our ninth. Mm. I think um, 
This is the thing. I'd, um, we'll sort of preface the the manager discussion um, as we will. It it seems quite apparent that the Benitez was was approached a little while ago, um, and was probably was probably also a candidate before before Robbie did the indecent thing by winning the Champions League, and therefore you know almost demanding the job. Um, in terms of European. Managers that have won the the Champions League since 2002, there's eight of them. We've employed and sacked three in Mourinho, Ancelotti and Di Matteo. The the fourth is now in charge, Benitez. We're chasing the fifth, Pep Guardiola, which basically leaves, you know, if if you view the Champions League as the benchmark of, of, of the European game the managers who won it in the last 10 years, it basically leaves you with Fergie, Rijkaard and Del Bosque. God. As, 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 as those we, we haven't either employed or are chasing. Um, and two, two of those are probably going to be in the ground before we actually get to them. Otherwise, we'd have a damn good try. <laughs> we'd probably have a pop, exactly. Um, you know, know. It, 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 the bloke with the side is stalking two of them. Exactly. But, but in, in, the, in the midst of all that, we've done the World Cup winner. We've done the hot young talent who you know who, who talked a good game. Um, we've done done the experienced caretaker in, in Gus Hiddink, who um, announced today he's retiring at the end of the season. So that's um, that's another man- potential managerial escape route gone. Um, we appreciate difficult though it, it is to take on board. Um, we appreciate why Robbie went. You know as 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 Pete Watts described on the blog, and I think you, you covered it as well, Donald, that Roman is, is your ruthless romantic. You know, he wants all of the wonderful things and the great football and the trophies that go with it. But the moment that you screw up, you're gone. That's it. It's, it's all over. You're finished. Um, well, you, you employ a guy who's, who's in his third major footballing job and you expect him to, to deliver in the way that uh, an experienced manager would. I, 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 I suppose deep down, I never quite believed that they believed in the project. Should we say project here? Mm. Um, surely the idea would have been that Robbie was going to be learning as his players were learning. That that's how a young manager in that situation would be treated. You would expect. Um, I'm sure Guardiola. I don't follow Barcelona closely enough, um, but uh, I'm sure Guardiola made mistakes at Barcelona in his first couple of years. You know, it, it, it struck me as very strange that you don't, and I, and I thought this would happen, is that they wouldn't back him through his first rocky patch. And mm. it seems terribly, even more cynical than ever, you know, to, to not, he didn't expect to get the job by all accounts. He was then given the job. And really, they just gave him the job to keep the fans happy, make sure the season tickets rolled in, I suppose, you know, whatever. Um, And knowing that as soon as he lost a game or two, it it was all, you know, it was all over. It's just, just, you know, the the sort of that Sam Wallace, and I'm not knocking Sam Wallace, I think he's probably just been given a briefing, so he's put it out there. Mm. The reasoning, it all seems perfectly logical until you actually think, hang on, we're 12 games into a league season. This guy's only just taken over a basically a, a rebuilding job for the team. 
and, and we're talking, the way they were talking there was that, oh, in Monaco it was obvious, or when they lost to Brighton in a friendly. Well, Jesus Christ, if you're seeing your manager as being not up to the thing by the time you lose a friendly in Brighton, mm. you've got no belief in him. And it was just all a sham. And I wish they, I wish they hadn't done it. I wish they just sort of had the mm. cojones to put them on the table and say, we're not going to employ him. He's a fantastic guy. We're forever grateful to him. But, but we he's, need he's not mad to take us forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Roman just showed emotional weakness. Mm. I think he's put that behind him and he's not going to do it again. It was a mistake. Um, I'm not saying a point probably was a mistake, but Roman made a mistake. Mark. He's emotionally Yeah, weak. but this normally he's pretty quick and, and he no, normally knows what he wants. And I think he just gave in to pressure from fans, people around him who were saying, look, you've got to give the guy a chance. He's won the Champions League. How can you not do it? Mm. But you could tell by the time it took to appoint him that clearly it wasn't a clear-cut decision. Oh, and yeah. they, they were prevaricating for at least a month. Yeah, because um, they were chasing Guardiola around the golf courses of the United States or whatever they were doing. Yeah. You know, he'd, if he was that emotionally weak and that open to suggestion from the fans and people around him, he might have thought about maybe getting someone in to compete with Torres in the summer. Uh, I don't buy it. I think, I think they, they thought of a quick, it might be a quick, cheap fix. It would make them look good with the fans. They took a gamble thinking, well, if he doesn't shape up, we'll get Benitez in. And, mm. and so it happened. You do, you do wonder that Benitez was probably sitting there kind of waiting for the phone call from, you know, mid-October onwards kind of thing, but um, it's, it's... Yeah, I, I, I find it strange in the sense that obviously to Roman, it doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter, you know, another couple of million quid on a manager, well, so what? You know, it's 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 chicken feed. It doesn't really make any difference. Um, in terms of... In terms of Benitez, now, you know, obviously this this has all become highly emotive in um, in the last few days. Well, since, he was, since he was appointed. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, been the odd, it's been the odd crossword here or there. <laughs> You've heard the joke, I presume, that Benitez is the most unpopular caretaker since Ian Hunter. <laughs> like it, like it. Um, and it's it, it, it sort of... I don't think it, it's quite as barking as employing Avram Grant was, which, you know, I think literally stunned us all into silence. So, you know, he didn't get booed in, in the way that Robbie was, in the sense that I think we were all just shell-shocked by it, in, in the sense that Benitez was, rather, after replacing Robbie. Um, obviously, his, um, his his track record and, and previous, previous club um, is the big bugbear. Um Tony, you've been very vocal and and, and def- defending, not defending the man as such as, as being the right choice, but rightly pointing out ultimately that, you know, hey, the guy's here, he's got a job to do, he wants to do ultimately the same as we do, win games, um, and that's that. Yes, I'm quite disillusioned. Actually, I don't think I've ever been as disillusioned with the whole Chelsea thing as I am at the moment I think that's generally I wrote something quite heartfelt on the blog the other night because I'm and I'm not disillusioned with the club I'm not particularly disillusioned with Abramovich I 
do think there's a slightly abusive father role going on here you know beats you one minute and then forces you to love him the next um, I absolutely just find the whole attitude of some fans not all of them I don't mind constructive criticism but this pathetic mewling that's coming from people who head up supporters groups and just completely irrational I find distasteful and maybe I'm just a grumpy old git maybe I'm a born again Christian or what I don't know I, 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 the, the point I wanted to make on sacking Robbie was was a shock I think to everybody I do think that part of that is that I, I have a theory that Roman Abramovich is actually a very big fan um, of a great organisation that we know the coalition government are trying to kill BBC I think his favourite programme is probably Have I Got News For You and he's introducing the concept of the guest manager um, <laughs> so we can expect this on a fairly regular basis um, Roger Moore next then <laughs> oh, God, that, what a dreadful show that one was <laughs> the man was so out of his depth um, but uh, we, we were joking about it in the club room on, on Sunday before the game about this kind of strain of Chelsea fundamentalism that's going on room. which uh, yeah, Dixon's, we just call it the club room. I don't really okay. take any notice if it could be called anything in there, really, but uh, I just know the beer's expensive and the pies are rotten. Um, for a minute, I, th- I thought you were con- convening in some sort of electrical retail outlet. I've always preferred Comet myself. I'm really. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did try to get to the Rumbelows room. Are we getting advertising revenue yeah. for this? Yeah. We, yeah. Weekly, we mention Waitrose and all these sorts of outlets. Well, I, you're no money for it at I all. Think this is a product placement thing here, surely. No, absolutely. Well, just as an aside, I, um, I got an email today from uh, a guy called Steve Mower. Who, um, who has been mentioned on here before? He is um, he is a fan of the podding shed. We say hello, Steve. Um, as you know, some of uh, some of the consumer advice we've given over um, over recent weeks has um, has been very useful. And obviously, with Christmas approaching, people want to know to where to go for their electrical goods. And obviously, Comet. Um, yes, we've probably got a bit clearance sale going on at the moment. Um, probably probably a bargain or two to be picked up. So you know, there it is. I think- just to go back to the whole thing, the kind of fundamentalist thing, I, I expected to walk in to Stanford Bridge, you know, and I, I felt like if I walked up to somebody and said, excuse me, are you the Stanford, pe- Stanford Bridge People's Front? I'd get a fuck <laughs> off with the, the People's Front of Stanford Bridge. Um, it, it, it's just got a little bit too polarised for me. And, and I appreciate that people are upset about what Benitez said and all that, but, I, you know, people have been called worse. And I just find the whole thing, I think I described the fans as being like a peeled baby dumped in a bag of salt the way they're squealing it just cheek out you know it's a little harsh I mean I I have to say I'll take the view all I've done is I've been we apologise to peeled babies everywhere (laughs) I've been pulled to pieces simply because I'm a dissenter and I hate the mob mentality I hate this kind of burning candle pitchfork through the streets kill anybody who's not you know destroy people who are not part of the Rafa thing he's an experienced manager we sacked Robbie we pretty much had fucking nowhere else to go Pep Guardiola um, is patently either not interested or is uh, toying with us because I think he's holding out for the City or the United job and I just think that we'll wait a year for him and he'll turn around and say, I'm still not ready or I've had a better offer. So we've been mugged off, partly our own making, of course, by getting rid of so many managers. But I'm pretty disillusioned uh, to I the th- point where I'm almost at the point of 
putting my ticket up and via GoGo because I don't really want to sit in a crowd full of fucking mewling idiots um, who, uh, for, for me, are just joining in for the sake of it because they think it's a bit of a fucking laugh. Sorry, we, that's we're a rant, po- but... <laughs> no, that's fine. No, we, we apologise to mewling idiots everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other, other types of idiots are available. <laughs> other types of idiocy are available. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Tony, but I... I mean, my passion and emotion drained out probably after Uncle Claudio and then um, Mourinho and then Ancelotti. I think by the end of Ancelotti, I was pretty much done with this because I always seemed to find myself, you know, more deeply in love with the, the sort of departing manager than a lot of the people at Chelsea. A lot of people seem to take it in their stride. And this time I find myself... Uh, although I'm, I'm very disappointed for, for Di Matteo, I loved him. I was I was hoping that this dream thing of a, a Chelsea man, as a young manager, was going to come and somehow establish this this dynasty here. But you know, I suppose I was fooling myself. And I, you know, I I but I do understand. I don't think it's just um, people having a laugh. I don't necessarily agree with everything that people are saying. I, I do think that demanding the apology is probably taking it too far. But yeah, I, do. I, I do understand that, that you know, a lot of these people, I, I don't, you know, for family reasons, so on, I don't go there all the time. I don't go to all the way. But a lot of people, and, and us as well, we invest quite a lot of, you know, emotional capital in all this. And while people are not being um, vicious, while people are not, you know, while, while they're just sort of venting a, a general anger about the whole thing, and and they have been given good reason both by the club and Benitez to, to do that. I mean, I've never been a Benitez hater in the way that quite a lot of Chelsea fans are, but I can see that he's given them reason to do it. And yes, in, in six months' time, if it's still going on, God knows where we'll all be. But, you know, I... I I, I, t- I found it a bit condescending the way the press and, and quite a lot of other fans, you know, pe- even people I know at work and so on, the way they talk about the whole thing is as if people have got no right to, to express a, a view. These people are paying 50 quid for a seat. Mm. You know, they're entitled to, to get up and give it some money. You know, they're, they're not going to... He's not I, been I, violently harmed. No one's no, thrown no, anything I, at him. I, I you know, it's... it's well, it's, it's, it's pantomime. You, it's, you, you, you pay know. your money and you take your choice. Absolutely. I think, you know, I've seen a couple of very good points of it. There are, there are clearly people out there who, who are never, ever going to accept him, whatever, and that's that's fine. You know, we appreciate that. Um, I think, I, I mean, I, I've said on the blog, I'm one of the least partisan folk I know in, in terms of football because uh, most of it just washes over my head. Yeah, I appreciate there's rivalries and I appreciate any number of different aspects of the game which 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 make people feel like that most of it don't, it doesn't register it really doesn't and you know as tragic a sad sack as that makes me in terms of being a football fan well so be it um but i c- i can really appreciate because i mean i, I just don't like benitez he, i've never ever been a, a particular fan of his i think he comes across badly in the media i think he's got a bit of a complex about any number of things um and but you know when, when you come out and say some of the things he said, you know you actually look for 
other examples of managers directly having a pop at a club's fans, you know, have a spar with the manager, you know, criticise the way that they're always hounding referees or whatever. But if you take a dig at the fans, that's quite a big thing. You know, that really, A, it's unusual, and B, I, I think it's, 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 it's pretty out of line. Um, he was doing it because he was desperate to ingratiate himself with, with the Liverpool faithful more and more sort of trenchantly. And, you know, I, I can appreciate why people are pissed off about it. Um, that said, it, it's a pretty simple equation. It doesn't matter how much anyone boos, shouts, raises placards, waves banners, marches, protests, etc., etc., etc. He's here for six months. We There's simply no getting away from that fact. Um, you know, unless... Uh, well, we don't know that for sure, actually. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with the label of interim manager, <laughs> with, he, may well, he may well last the longest. Well, on the, on the basis all the others have been permanent and have lasted six months, the interim <laughs> might last for a dynasty of 16 years. Which would, would be slightly bizarre, and I suspect that anyone listening to that, may, may, there may be people that have, um, have had a bit of a, a, a bit of a conniption, I think we'll, we'll call it. Um, but yeah, you know, ultimately, you know, football, we're our worst enemy. We're our own worst enemy as football fans. There's a very, very simple way that if if we really wanted to make a point about this, the easy way to do it was for for every season ticket holder out there not to turn up on Sunday. <coughs> now, a half empty ground and empty bars and concessions. Well, I, I'm happy to join in with that. I, I'm not join, I'm not coming on Sunday. If you if you're not going on Sunday, I'm not going on Sunday. <laughs> I, last Sunday, the, okay. The, the one the one just gone. Sorry, I, okay. I should quantify that. Um, and that that's that's the only way that the club might actually pay attention. But you know, I appreciate the right. That but you see, Johnny, if everyone did that, okay, if if everyone had said, okay, I'm going to piss fifty five quid, sixty, seventy quid up the wall, exactly, because I love this club so much. I am not going there. In fact, I will go down there and I'll go and stand in the street outside. Okay? Mm. They would have been slated by the media and their fellow fans. For of course. You're making your players at a very difficult time for them play in front of an empty ground. Mm. So what do they do? They turn up. Yeah. They, they boo Rafa Benitez. They applaud Dave Sexton. You know, they do whatever fans do. And by, you know, halfway through the game, they're back in and getting behind the team. They did the, the applause at 16 minutes. You know, we, whatever Chelsea fans did, if they all sat there, cheered the team and waved their plastic flags on Sunday, well, you're, you're a lot of plastics, you're heartless, you've got no passion. You know, Chelsea as a club at the moment, and I don't mean to sound like a, a demented paranoid, anything that Chelsea do at the moment, someone it's, will it's find... Never, it's never going to be right. It's, it's never right. I, I, some years ago, I was at... Uh, uh, I admit this openly, it, it's time to confess. I was at the Tottenham game, the Tottenham, the, the London, North London derby, when Sol, Sol Campbell came back to Tottenham. Right. If people think what they heard on Sunday, if all these media types think what they heard on Sunday was somehow an atrocious bullying display, they wanted to be at my heart. They, they, they got short memories. It yeah. was, and uh, it wasn't racial as some of the press tried to, to, 
paint it the next day. It was vitriolic. Mm. And, you know, I'm not going to get into whether it was right or wrong. I was sitting there with some Tottenham fans, people I've, I've known all my life. But that's what it was about. You know, and for people to say that somehow Chelsea fans are, are classless, graceless, you know, this goes on. It's not nice. I, I, you know, I felt uncomfortable there that day. But to a certain extent, I had no right to criticise those fans. And when it's not sort of racial or vicious or, you know, slating the dead or, you know, that sort of immoral type of thing, where it's just people expressing something, you may not agree with it, but... You know, no one's no one's died as a result of what went on. Oh no, of course, no. I I agree. I agree with that. That's that's, the point I'm more making is the reaction to people like me who really don't have that much of an objection. And I, I, I absolutely, you know. I don't like being called a plastic because I just get that from people who I think, hold on, mate, 41 years, you know. Uh, I, what's his name? Clive, one of the most pompous fans I've ever known. God knows why I even bother with him on Twitter. He's, he's pointing things, calling me a drama queen, uh, plastic, all sorts of crap things. And I just think, crap, mate, you're 25. Yeah, the fuck are you to tell me? And, and it, it, that's what gets me. Is, yeah, and it, it's, like... more, it's, it's kind of more this, if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. Yeah, it's, and, it's been like that. I, it's I been do like that with the CPO. Maybe I'm learning. Maybe I'm learning for the first time and I don't like it. Yeah, it was like that after after if you if you were pro Ranieri, no one had any time for you. If you were pro Ancelotti, there was not a lot of time for you amongst a lot of people. You know, the, the Chelsea sort of fandom splits very quickly on issues. And as I say, I've for whatever reason floated a bit above this one, um, probably because I, I've just got too involved in some of the others. And I would say that on both sides, people are slinging an awful lot of cack at each other and. You know, fine, Twitter, I suppose, is like that, and blogs are like that. You know, people who are very passionate about this and very anti-Benitez and I don't want this and I want to do that are being told, you know, oh, settle down and just support the team in, in quite a condescending fashion. Equally, yeah, that's- some of those people are coming back and, you know, if Eva runs on and her hair doesn't look good... Uh, on Wednesday night, that will be Rafa's fault because her hair always looked really nice <laughs> when Robbie was here. Her hair is perfect. Yeah, well, <laughs> the day it isn't, it's going to be Benitez's It'll be, yeah, of course. Because it never Listen, like, it happened under Robbie. It, it, is, it is absolutely it's guaranteed. It's getting to that level. Absolutely, you know? no. Listen, it's absolutely guaranteed that you know, from, from now until the end of the season, whatever is achieved, is it's the same as Avon Grant. If, if John Terry's kick hadn't have hit that post in, in Moscow, that would have been Mourinho's team that won that won the European Cup. Avram Grant would be a, a mere footnote. It, it wouldn't have been anything to do with him, and exactly the same would be the case now. Whatever happens, you know, if Benitez gets us, you know, well, wherever he gets us, it will not be down to him. It will be, it will be the core of Robbie's team. That will be that. Now, it, Listen, in, in very simple terms, I think actually Nick made a, a kind of a good point um, a couple of days ago. A happy birthday to him. Indeed, yes, we, we should say happy birthday to a leader. I sent him an e-card with, with a picture of Rafa Benitez on it, just for the, the sheer hell of it, um, which, he said, which he appreciated, I think. And um, he knows his birthday. <laughs> I know, he, he tweeted today, he shares, he shares, he shares a birthday with, uh, with Jimi Hendrix and... Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, that's it. Oh, right, okay. So he's how, in, uh, how old is he? I, it's a mystery. No one knows. He's the dear no. leader. 
he's, he's sort of, he, you know, he's um, who's the guy? The, the guy in Charlie's Angels. The, Charlie, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie. That's about the fella, Charlie. He, he is. He's, he's the Charlie, and when we are the Angels, we we, we sit and um, you know we report, record podcasts, and he he manoeuvres things and makes the occasional comment, but no one ever sees him. Yes. And which angel are you? Oh, I, the, the, the one that's worn least badly, I would suspect. But um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it was your birthday on Sunday, wasn't it, John? It was indeed. Yes, yes. Sorry. You know when I tweeted you that I was about to raise a glass. Of, I, I must interrupt and tell this because it's it's quite amusing in quite a sad way. I, I was in a uh, sort of gastro pub in Canonbury. Obviously, being a someone who buys his goods from Waitrose, that's the only sort of place I could possibly be having lunch. Because it was my sister's birthday the following day. Right. And so we're having a bit of a family gathering, uh, all sitting in this public house. And, and it's being a gastro pub, it had, and being in Canterbury, Islington sort of place, it had, uh, luckily it wasn't full of gooners because they played the day before. Um, there's a, uh, a quote from one of the... Uh, premier female novelists of English literature of the 20th century. The quote is up there and then her name is underneath. My son looked up at this wall and then turned uh, to his sister and my mother and asked why they had a vagina up on the wall. We all looked up at the wall. It was Virginia Woolf. Now, I don't know whether I should be more depressed that he didn't recognise Virginia Woolf even though he's only eight and a half. I suppose I should have got him private school educated. Or why he think anyone would write vagina up on a public house wall? I, he could... I, I mean, the worry is that he could have been just being polite and there might have been a picture of Arsene Wenger up there, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a sign of anything else. Um, I, we've probably lost a strand here. Yeah, happy birthday, Nick, in the first instance. Yes, um, he, he posted um, something. That's where happy you birthday, Nick. I didn't know. Quite... Um, I am um, actually apropos of completely nothing. I'm going to throw this in because it, it, I'll, I'll preface it with with the point that it is is a, a challenge. But I heard a, a little anecdote about um, Victor Moses the other day, and there's there's all these sort of biblical references and, and so forth that are thrown in around him. But apparently, um, Buck and or the, when he scored the winner against Juventus a few weeks ago, Shakhtar, Shakhtar. That's it. We didn't get a win against Juventus. No, beat them. That's part of the problem. Sorry, sorry, third Guinness. It's um, yeah, it, you know, you know, the, you know the score. Sir Alec. Um, <laughs> quite very topical. Um, Roman was sitting there, and um, and Buck and Gourlay were either side of him, and um, Victor, Victor Moses comes on, gets his gets his late winner, and the, the ITV pundits are all, you know, they've got commentary on the RTV pundits are all heard to be making their, you know, Moses as part of the defence and so on and so forth. And um, apparently Bruce Buck leant forward to Roman and said, you know, the reason that we uh, we signed Moses was due to Ron and me. (laughs) 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 Did I not issue this challenge only uh, on the last podcast? And I should... uh, Johnny, boy, I... I should should point out that comes from uh, Mr. Michael Austin, who I I have have the occasional beer with before games. Um, 
cap is doffed to him, and frankly, the challenge is open. If you, you know, a better. What was the, what was the special award we were handing out? Because the yeah. gold trowel or whatever it was, he should get one. Order, of the, order of the podding shed. I, th- yeah, I think he is, he is safe received shed. one. And um, if anyone else can come up with better, you get that one. was due to what, didn't it? Oh my sainted arm! <laughs> That's made my week. <laughs> that really has. Oh, Michael, I tell you, <laughs> of Putney Bridge, we doff our caps to. Oh, oh, so dear, oh, Lord, that man. Oh, uh, dear, right. Anyway, Splendid. where were we? Um, oh, we were talking some guff about Robbie and <laughs> Benitez. <laughs> so, so forth. Um, Just at the start of the Man City game, I did turn to my son and say, um, I hope Neil Barnett isn't going to introduce Rafa. And one minute later, he wanders onto the pitch in his inimitable way and asks everybody to welcome Rafa to Chelsea, which was a monumental mistake. That was just that was just the, um, the start flag to say, red rat, now. Mm. Petrol on the fire. You know, yeah. it just shows a certain... Uh, I don't know, the club just don't seem to want to acknowledge in any way, shape or form that, that they might be doing something that could possibly be deemed vaguely unpopular by any member of the the fan base. And it just, you know, if, if he didn't wander onto the pitch and start introducing the bloke, no one would have noticed, would they? You know, but, yeah, so. Well, I, th- the, I think the, th- the interesting thing about it and thinking about it, it gave it a focus, which obviously everyone vented spleen immediately. And then, and I have to say, you know, walking up from the walking up from the pub, I literally just flicked through Twitter, and the announcement that Dave Sexton had died came through. And the cynic in me, fairly large and persuasive individual, it has to be said, thought that is, you know, R.I.P. Dave Sexton, but that is a godsend for them. That yes. is an absolute godsend because they will announce that. Near or you know, near or near about the announcement that Benitez is Benitez welcome Benitez as manager, and no one will boo and people will applaud, and that will be that. And and lo, it came to pass. And mm-hmm. I think it, um, it. I think they were. You know, I, I wouldn't be, be so crass to suggest they were they were celebrating his death because that's obviously not the way I'm, I'm portraying it. But. I think it was just what they needed in the sense that the booing got a focal point, Barnett got that out of the way. Is it, you know, was it even calculated? Did he do it just to sort of make everyone go, boom, gets that out of the way, finishes it very, very quickly with, with the announcement about Sexton. And yeah, there was a little bit thereafter, but, you know, the sounds bridge isn't... Bit, sounds a bit too clever. Well, it, it, yeah, I, I think that's the point. I don't think anyone's that organised, but for my money, it, it sort of died off a little bit after that. And yeah, there was a fair, you know, there was a, there was a bit of needle, and there was you know celebration of Robbie, which is absolutely right. That's what what should happen. Mm-hmm. But I would be interested. I'm not there tomorrow night, but I'll be interested to see exactly what happens. But I, I genuinely don't think there's going to be a lot of animosity now. If we're two 0 down with ten minutes gone, there's going to be stick. But. Oh, well, I'm going. I, I'm, I wasn't there Sunday. I'll be. I'll be interested yeah. to see what happens. Definitely. Oh, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go as well. I think the other point I want to make on Robbie, I think, is benefit of hindsight. Was wouldn't it have been lovely if he'd have just turned around after that Champions League and said, "No, come and find me in three or four years' time." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when I've been around a bit, I think that would have been. Then, then you don't get your payoff, do you? So. Well, no, I suppose not. But it would have. No, probably. I mean, it, have, it might have been. It might have been a little bit of a lesson. For those in the power at Stanford Bridge or whatever, uh, to have you know 
been snubbed for once. Can't always. Well, I mean, this this is this is the interesting this is the interesting point, and I, I referenced this on the blog, and the concept of, of diminishing managerial returns. Now, Roman chased. I mean, you know, there wasn't a great deal of, of, of chase for Mourinho in the sense that we were the highest bidders. We were the, we were the money at the time. Have what you want, spend what you want. It's all yours, son. Lo and behold, he came in. We chanted along after that, Grant, and so on and so forth. We then, you know, we then have this very, very open and obvious pursuit of Carlo Ancelotti for what two seasons before we signed him. I think. Oh yeah, at least, at least. Uh, uh, we, you know, Roman was quite clearly going to get his man. Now, appreciate and, and a man, John, who because he'd worked for. A- Berlusconi for all these years was a supreme political animal and would not be phased by what was going on at Chelsea. Yeah, knew the drill. You know, let's, you know, if you work for Berlusconi, you can probably work. Eighteen for- months later, they sacked his assistant from under him. I don't know. Well, th- this is the thing, and I think you know, we, we never, you know, obviously this this was pre podding shed, but it was it was discussed ad infinitum on the blog. Um, they they left Ancelotti short in terms of squad you know there were players when the wage bill was cut he was left slightly high and dry and Wilkins sacked from underneath him you know there was there was no support for the guy now you know we've, we've got differing points of view in terms of whether he helped himself what he did what he didn't do and so on and so forth but my issue and this is the same thing with Robbie it's the same thing with all the other managers that we employ is that we see a weakness or, you know, Roman, the board, see a weakness. There isn't the offer of assistance. Should we get you someone to help with this? Should we, you know, ride this out? It's seized upon. Bang! And and it's a weakness, and and weakness must be destroyed. And to me, we're we're now, we're we're repeating the process. You know, we've done any number. We've interim managers. We've done Vias Boas, you know, the the young hotshot. We're now... In, in in the in the cycle of the pursuit of Guardiola, it's exactly the same as the <coughs> pursuit of Ancelotti. The, there there is literally no difference. We have a caretaker in place who is out to impress, wants to get his name back on the map, having spent two years out of it. Is he as you know? Is he likely to be as good a caretaker as Gus Hiddink? Well, who knows? You know, does does he come with more baggage than Gus Hiddink? Yes, of course he does. So. To me, it would be very, very interesting in the sense that, you know, we're now in pursuit of Guardiola. The end game of this will be, he will be offered the job at some point when he's finished, you know, his shopping trip on the through Manhattan and um, in his year-long sabbatical. People will start fleeing offers at him and he will make his choice. Now, if, as any number of people are starting to comment, he's looking at Chelsea and saying, hmm... Do I really want all that? You know, there's there's the question. Do you think Guardiola would come to us? Do you think he'd come to us with, and say, yep, yeah, fine, I want this, this, and this. This is my structure. This is what I want you to do. Or do you think he'll look at it and say, fuck that. I think that's no, what I would, no that, I would go with much. that. And I'll, I'll do it on the basis that I, I'm not, convinced of Guardiola for any number of reasons one club only played for one club only managed one club system in place blah 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 
we don't know if he'd even settle outside of the country. We know <laughs> I thought he played away. in Italy, didn't he, Sony, for a while? Did he? Yeah. Uh, I thought he Very was from Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, his wife could be another Mrs. Crespo, doesn't like the country. It's a big, you know, there's a big difference if you've lived in Spain and, and or, or warmer climes to, to, the, than this country. And But I, I, one thing I would say about him is he seems like a very honourable guy and not driven by money. So I don't think the money, the reward, the high-powered, um, huge payoff contract that he could get at Chelsea is going to be a factor. And the factor is, is whether or not anybody can convince him that he will be allowed to build, copy whatever dynasty was in place at Barcelona. And I think we all know that nine, or nine years down the trot from Roman coming in, that is not going to be the case. And interestingly enough, I think Manchester City have employed one or two, if not more, of yeah, the people that, yeah, heart, that, that were involved or built that Barcelona academy. Now, Mancini's failed for the second time on the trot yes I know it took us 10 years to do it but we got out of the group stages from the day we've been in it and this will be the first time potentially we don't so um, I, I wonder whether Mancini has the stomach for it whether they have the stomach to keep him when there is a Guardiola in waiting um, and they're prepared patently slightly more patiently to, to put money into a system to build their future and I just think that mm. those will be the factors that weigh on his mind and Let's face it, you and I, any one of us might think, yeah, I'll take a £5 million a year contract. You can sack me in a month. I couldn't give a monkey's. Just pay me off. But um, Guardiola, for all my misgivings about him, does seem like a very honourable man and not driven by reward in that sense. Well, he's, you know, we bear in mind that you know this, this man simply has the pick of any job he wants in world football. Are we the most attractive proposition at the moment? Well, we're up there. Are, the city, are, are city there are any number of caveats? Yeah. City are an attractive proposition, aren't they? That's, but, you know. but the other, you know, the other thing is, it's it's one of those things like you know when you get the um, the, the transfer window opens and and you're waiting for that that first move, that first big money. You know, Falcao is going to X, which means Y Club has a massive heap of cash and they've been after so and so for so long. And it takes that uh, to kind of shift things along. So, you know, you've got Guardiola, who's out of work, taking his time, and, you know, has the choice of any job he he wants. Mourinho is coming up to his his three years in charge of Real Madrid, and, you know, let's be honest, he's not a long-term manager, so... There is every chance that he is either looking for an escape clause or, you know, 11 points out behind Barcelona as they are now. You know, hey, who knows? They may they may well decide that he's on the way out. Carlo Ancelotti is doing reasonably well at, um, at PSG. You know, there's any number of sort of of dominoes waiting for someone to make the first move, you know. The prospect of Mourinho and Guardiola house hunting in Chorlton or wherever the posh bits of Manchester are, you know, staring at each other. It's not improbable, is it? It's not improbable. I mean, you know, it obviously all depends. Ferguson chooses the time he's going, but, you Mm. know. Well, that's the thing. You've got got Wenger in there as well. And and this is is one of the points that I make about Chelsea now and, and, and the way that we're approaching this and... You know, we've had this conversation before. All the while this works, and all the while that trophies keep turning up every few years, 
Roman Buck and Gawley can sit there, kick managers out, bring the next one in. If you get a period of three or four years where nothing happens, you know, we maybe don't qualify for the Champions League one year, it ticks along and you keep firing managers, you keep bringing another one in, that's, that's when the crowd will start to get a little bit antsy about it because you've got a substantial proportion of fans now who are used to winning things. They're, you know, they're, they're watching, they're watching the success and thinking, oh, this is, this is a bit of all right. Um, where do you, you know, where do you go then? Mm. You've, you've got, you know, you've, you've been through any number of managers. You've got, you know, the likes of Jurgen Klopp, or his name is at Dortmund, I think. Kind of the, the new up and coming breed. <clears throat> That's a question I've got for you, John. Mm. Time out of memory, not just for Chelsea, but for other big clubs in, in, in the UK. Whenever there's a big managerial situation going on, three or four German names or people who are managing Germany get thrown up. None of them ever turn up here. Mm. None of them ever come out of the Bundesliga over here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one. Someone will now tell me one and I'll go, oh yeah, of course. But I'm struggling to think of, of anyone, you know, going back the last 10, 20 years, who's come out of the Bundesliga and come over here to manage. And you'd say to yourself, you know, Northern Europeans, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, shoot them down to the do, ground, do blah, okay. blah, 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 you know. Never happened. This certainly doesn't. Um, the interesting, I read, a, I read an article today um, about the average ages of, of kind of top European clubs. And I think it's something... It, Again, I, I, I have no idea how this this conclusion was reached. There, there wasn't a great deal of backup to it. But the top of the top ten clubs in Europe with youngest average ages and homegrown players, I think about six or seven of them were German. Mm. They they're very very good at producing homegrown talent. Um, if you look at, they're not so successful now. But you know, early early the century, Borussia Dortmund under Thomas Schaaf were, were going great guns. They won the title, qualified for the Champions League. Some good mix of homegrown players and a bit of bit of foreign talent lobbed in. Um, and he, you know, he's literally a one-club man. He played for them. He managed their youth team. He moved up to first-team coach. They have, you know, they have a couple of seasons where, you know, literally, you know, go from being champions to, to finishing 17th. They don't kick him out. They think he's the right man. He knows the club. He's got a good eye for good eye for talent. He's decent, you know. He's a decent coach. We'll leave him there. So I suspect that maybe an awful lot of them. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that's a bit of a generalisation, but an awful lot of them probably think, you know, Germany's a fairly decent. You know, having spent a lot of time there, Germany's a fairly decent country to live in. The the game of football itself is is very good over there. You know, the the, the tickets are cheap. The attendances are high. It's ju- it's just a decent setup, and maybe an awful lot of them think, "Can I really be asked with with pitching my family up mm. to go and you know take a load of shit from fans after six games where things aren't aren't particularly going right, and then come back home with my tail between my legs?" Yeah, maybe not. I'll give it a miss. But I'm putting twenty quid on Mourinho coming back. Yeah, I'd go yeah. with that. Only, only because I think that's the mistake that Roman knows he made and he can't blame on anybody else. Yeah. I, Un, unfinished business, and uh, I'm not sure he'd be prepared to let him go anywhere else. So 20 quid, I think that's a decent flutter. I don't I don't bet at all, really, but that's one I'm going to go for. It's, it's, it's potentially the most logical one as well, because obviously, you know, there's, there's 
the obvious history there. You know, is is Mourinho's time at Madrid coming to an end? Anyone's guess, you know. Yeah, can I, did, did, did no one hear the interview with Ramon Calder on, on Five Live last week? About no. exactly that. Uh, it was interesting. It was Nicky Campbell, uh, or George Riley, one of those, the two that do it in the morning. Um, and they interviewed Ramon Calder, and I believe he's still, he, he was the previous president to the one that's there now, and uh, still plays a part, and he's pitching his hat in already for the next election. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said that he didn't think that uh, Mourinho would be um, at Real Madrid at the end of this season. Um, he thinks that uh, Real Madrid have had enough of him. Um, they find him an inappropriate manager. They're not talking about success; just the general band, you know, uh, general haggling, getting at referees and sort of adverse comments about other teams and this sort of stuff. But also, interestingly enough, he said that. Um, he has a very strong reason to believe that Mourinho himself does not want to be there after this season. Mm. And I just think, uh, if it was a conspiracy theorist, I'd be looking at that and thinking, this is a guy that obviously still has some presumably powerful connections within Real Madrid. Um, and why would he say that on British radio uh, in mm. a you know live interview? Um, that you could say perhaps he hasn't been trained in the PR ways of the you know of mystical. Um, speaking of you know the gurus of, of you know speaking but not actually saying anything but he was very upfront very honest quite bright about it and I just think that that was made me think well I think I might have a punt on that then <laughs> no, well, that, there's no science or logic in, um, in London yeah yeah there was, there was no science mm. or logic in it Mark I was just I perhaps I'm putting two and two together making five but it just seems um, uh, uh, a, a more likely one for me than Guardiola that's not out of the realms of possibility, but I think. Can, can someone remind me? Did did Avram Grant? Did he actually was he an interim manager or was he given a contract? No, he was given a contract. He was given a contract. Yeah, yeah. He got got right. to the end of the season because he right. he actually it, you know in terms because I was just saying I was just thinking he was the only the only person who wasn't either of or came from a country where the majority of people were of the Church of Rome who's had a job under. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't, you know. Gus was was an interim manager, um, yeah. stout, you know, probably Cal, you know, Dutch reform Calvinist or whatever. But uh, <laughs> we don't seem to give the job to, to people of the uh, dissenting churches. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe not. Does anyone know that. of any managers it's, who are Satanists? Pardon? Does, does anyone know any managers who are Satanists? Perhaps. You know, so. No. <laughs> Someone prepared to sell their soul to bring us the goods. Well, it's just something that occurred to me the other day. Yeah. But it's only because he's always employing Italians and, you know, people from the Iberian Peninsula. You know, just yeah, struck yeah. strange. A very good point. Um, we, we've, sort of, we've, we've digressed slightly, but an interesting discussion nonetheless. Um Yes, so ultimately we, we have Rafael Benitez in charge um, as the interim manager for, well, anywhere between six months and ten years, but, you know, it, it, it's anyone's guess. Um, his, his, his objectives are fairly obvious. Um, if at all possible, you know, we have to hope that... Um, how do we? How do we need this to pan out? I the Champions League group stages bore me shitless. Um, who, do, who do we need to win out of Shakhtar and Shakhtar needs to beat Juventus. That's it, and we need to we need to beat Nords Nords yeah. to go through. And, so, and, stra- and strangely, they are uh, Shakhtar. 
are going to be without uh, was it Luis Andriano or whatever? I didn't see this yeah. this, um, this business of scoring a goal when he should have kicked it back to the goalie or something. I think uh, it was all a bit spurious as far as people were suggesting. And it certainly happened a few years back, didn't it, when Wenger agreed to a replay when an Arsenal player did that. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and not that I'm, I'm casting any aspersions here because these sort of things, you know, just are quite innocent. But uh, he's actually been banned for a match for doing that. How handy. How handy. <laughs> a game that Juventus need a result out of. Strange. Considering that uh, Shakhtar then allowed Norzielin to score, you know, to even it all up, you thought they'd have left it at that, wouldn't you? But, uh, yeah. I just thought that was quite strange. But yes, I, we're, we're, we're depending on Shakhtar to want to win the group, basically, I think, isn't yeah. it? Which, presumably, they will do. Um, and, and they, can someone just enlighten me? They've qualified on 10 points. We could actually end up with 10 points as well. Yeah. They, they qualified because their record against us was better yeah, it's head by to head. goals. It's head-to-head to head goals scored and then goal difference. Right, and they, they obviously... We lost 3-1 there, didn't we? And, and won 3-2 at the bridge, so yeah. Okay. So we're going to go out if we beat North Zealand, having, having got 10 points, which is often enough to get you through. Yeah. So it's, a very, it's a very tough old group. And, uh, it was. I mean, you know, the, the killer was obviously the, the you know two 0 up against against mm. Juventus at home, and, and but outside of the City group, um, it was the toughest group in in that. You know, some of these yeah, it was tough groups were a complete cakewalk, and I think people perhaps forgetting that Juventus had, had gone the whole season without being defeated in Serie A, and you know. However, we are European champions. Yes, it should be noted. Um, so. So, in terms of Benitez's objectives, obviously, win your Champions League game and hope for the best. And, well, fourth, third... um, Well, qualification, I think that was... Qualification for the Champions League. Sam Wallace alluded that that was the the minimum objective, was qualification for the Champions League. Um, I I also wouldn't mind betting that he will go... Obviously, you've got the World Club Championship, and that will be a nice little feather in his cap. Not that the fans regard it terribly highly. That if he can, if he can bring that home, all well and good. Um, League Cup, I think, is is a very good opportunity for him to to pick up a bit of silverware. Um, Leeds away after we after we get back from um, from Japan is is going to be no easy fixture, but I. I wouldn't mind betting that he's going to he's going to take a fairly big punt on on the league cup. That would be that would be my guess. Um, then obviously FA Cup and so on and so forth. So this you know the, the guy's got a reasonable amount of opportunities to, to try and ingratiate himself with um, with the faithful who are, are less than impressed with him and uh, and so forth. Yeah, some will never accept him, but you know. Win a few games, stick the odd bit of silverware in the um, in the cabinet, and um, I suspect attitudes may um, may soften towards him a little bit. Um, should we should we have a, um, a kind of a prediction as to as to what's going to happen next season? Who's going to be in charge? Tony, you've you've, you've got your twenty quid down. Yeah, you're, well, you're saying quid, Mourinho. Yeah, you're saying Mourinho. Donal. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I really, it, it's just gone beyond anywhere where I could even start to think 
rationally. It could be the way the club is at the moment. Yes, it has to be a, a spangly dangly sort of name, and we've more or less dealt with all the spangly dangly <laughs> names that I can come up with. Um, so yeah, Christ on a bike. Who'd know? I, I wouldn't have a clue. I really wouldn't have a clue. And you know, Mourinho and some of these characters are. are obviously playing to the gallery they've got their eyes on certain things and you know half the time I'm sure they're only using us as leverage to get something else you know mm. I, I really don't know I have I well, care I, I, I think I'd, tentatively I'll, I'll agree with Tony and pop Mourinho's name into the thing but for the simple reason I don't think we're going to get Guardiola I think he's going to go elsewhere um, hey listen Mancini will be out of a job fairly soon potentially Oh joy! There's, there's another name to throw into the um, into the managerial mix. Uh, Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, I'd go with Mourinho, and, and if it's not him, maybe the manager of Dortmund, and if it's not him, the manager of Spartak. Yeah, it's a, who's managing Spartak, Mark? I don't know, but they played well against us. I think that's enough for Roman. <laughs> that will probably do him nicely. Um, mm. Does, does anyone want to, to, to fling any more by way of their four penneth into the whole managerial point, Benitez, etc., etc.? Speak now or for uh, a No, I've, uh, but I'll, I'll just say, I found this quite cathartic tonight. So I'm, I'm a little, you less, ha- you happy I'm a little less disillusioned than I was earlier on. So if I've upset anybody in the fans, you know, don't, I, I, you have a right to voice your opinion. You don't have the right to call me names, that's all. <laughs> well, I'm happy and if they do do it, Tony... They better bring their dinner. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased to have acted as your catheter for this evening. I've enjoyed it. I've never ever. And talking of catheters, interestingly, to Mark being a foley, uh, there is a type of catheter called a foley catheter. Is there really? Yes, that's the reason I always sit here taking the piss. Move on. <laughs> uh, so. Ahead of us, we have um, West Ham on Saturday, I think. Oh, joy. Deep joy. Sam Allardyce and his um, own unique, inimitable brand of football. And their Um, lovely fans. Then uh, Nords Yaland. So, again, you know, another big week in the life of um, of a Chelsea fan. But then again, when aren't they? Um, We will touch briefly on a couple of other points, which I made a note of here. By the way, would you like to give a prediction of how many points you think we're going to get out of Fulham and West Ham? Oh yeah, f- yeah. Fulham first, is it? Um, ooh, four, six. Yeah, I think four's a safe number. Positive. Yeah, yeah four, four's, the, four's the safe bet. Um, we should. Brief- In the Daily Mail, they're saying that uh, he'll be dropping Mikel. Yeah, I saw that. I, w- I don't know how that's quite how that's going to play because he was very good against City. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a big critic of Mikel over the years, but I think this season he's really upped his game. I mean, yeah. the way he's moving and passing the ball is fantastic. Yeah, I'd be interested to see because uh, you know Benitez. That's exactly why Benitez is not <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we we bear in mind, you know, this is the man that was was very fond of playing two defensive midfielders at home. Well, he's talking about playing Romeo, who I don't mind, but I would say, out of Mikel and Romeo, Romeo looks like he'll develop into a decent player. But you couldn't say that Romeo is any more attacking uh, than. Than, than Mikel, and it appears to be for attacking reasons that he's going to drop. If you believe the Daily Mail, yeah, the Spanish Mafia could be, could be. Um, We've had a few mafias in our time, haven't we? 
Well, the, the old one or the old one or three. Okay. Um, we should um, we should also note very quickly. I'm just trying to find my notes. I, I need to get more organised. I'm fucking hopeless here. Um, right, um, a quick reference to the the, the Klaffenberg Bruce Buck meeting. Um, there was apparently some sort of summit whereby we were. Um, having a chat, a quiet chat with Mark Clattenberg after um, all the Mikkel business. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see exactly what happens because he, he was fourth official at the West Ham game on Saturday, Sunday, I think. Um, is he likely to referee a game at the bridge anytime soon? I wouldn't have thought so. He'll be Pers- welcomed back according to the statement. They've obviously, you know, backpedalling a bit, um, having to eat some humble pie. But I wouldn't say that they'd put Clattenburg back here anytime soon, in, in much the same way that a lot of referees, you know, don't turn up every other week, and then sometimes they do. Mm, you know, yeah, I, I don't think there's any... They certainly keep any referee that's upset Ferguson away from him. I, I would have thought that they'd feel that putting Clattenburg back in the bridge was... And then again, they may feel that he needs to go back in there, referee a game properly, and then everyone's happy. I don't know. Yeah, it um, it would be. It was unfortunate. I, I was a bit disappointed. I think, although again, I haven't seen all the evidence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we all did sit here saying something along the lines of, uh, "They better that? have something behind all this to go on." Mm. Uh, well, and if- it turned out to be, you know. And not to knock Ramirez, but it turned, I, if they took if they took advice from council, um, and the advice from council was yes, there's enough to go on. Um, I find that a bit strange. I, what I didn't realise is that they didn't have to publicise it. Um, no. That they could have started the process, but then, uh, as other people have pointed out, you know, everyone's now saying, oh, they were wrong to make a statement. I think. Everyone's overlooking the fact that uh, had they not made a statement, some member of the press would have made a statement on their behalf uh, oh, and yeah, made exactly. them look. I, you know, that everyone's forgetting that that's probably why they did. You know, they didn't go public to embarrass Clattenburg. They went public because if they didn't, they'd be accused of trying They're to killed, shit yeah. out. Um, Which is exactly what Pat Nevin, the ever excellent Pat Nevin, said on Five Live in an interview tonight. And he yeah. said that, as far as he's concerned, they've everyone's said they've sort of done the right thing. Chelsea did what they did because they wanted to preempt the press who'd overheard all of this and were going to go live with it anyway. So they were just trying to head them off. Um, they did everything properly. The FA have said they did everything properly. The Referees Association are part and parcel of today's statement. Um, and as Pat Nevin said, they, everyone should draw a line under it. But he put the caveat. He said, of course, that is if the media allow. A line to be drawn under it. And one of the and biggest whilst, whilst some mileage to go, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. And whilst there's some mileage left in the story, I'm sure the press and the tabloids specifically won't let it go. They were the people camped on his doorstep. You know, if they had all the, the sort of moral fibre that they want everyone else to have, it'd been made public. Everyone knew it was in the public domain. I mean, I must ask a journalist one day, could they refer me to an incident uh, in in the history of modern British journalism, where four hundred people camped outside someone's door has actually ever, ever produced a useful item of that particular story, because you know it doesn't happen, does it? 
You know, no, why do they do it? Why do they do it? And yeah, Chelsea take responsibility for making the public statement, but they didn't go up there and camp on his doorstep. And you know, I, it's, it was a very regrettable. I'm sort of well, I'm happy that that Clattenburg as a person has come out of it okay. It, it's it was you know it, it could have been very ugly, but hopefully the FA and everyone else has learned the lesson that somewhere down the line someone may do that may use inappropriate language to a player on the pitch and they need to to be happy that they've got something in place that that, that will work and, and there are obviously one or two aspects of this that people think should have been done differently so you know they need to to, to look at that uh, and also I'd say from Chelsea's point of view keep the referees dressing room away from players and management you know put some big, you know, Roman must be able to rustle up a couple of very large herbits, you know, don't let anyone near the referee's room because we won't... A good point, a good you know, point. It won't go anywhere nice. And no. Then, well, I think um, hopefully it is all, um, all blown over reasonably now. Um, I would point out, gentlemen, we are on the 1 minute 45 mark. And okay. It's, it's, it's time for us to wend our merry way elsewhere. Yeah. Um, gents, thank you as always. Um, we will convene again at some point, trying to get it on back on a regular footing. Um, if well, you have, we could have a pre a pre uh, Champions League exit, you know, mournful <laughs> session next Tuesday, couldn't we, with appropriate sad music? It could be. What we'll do is, I think we, we ought to play. We ought to play our Champions League dirge thing, perhaps quite slowly, in anticipation of the fact it might be the last time we play it. In a, funeral, in a funereal manner. In a funereal manner. Yes. I think that's a good idea, gentlemen. I suggest we wend our merry way now. Um, okay, thank you as always. Um, we will catch up with you all next time. Good night. Yep. Good night. Good night. Good night.